This morning, I'd like us to turn in our Bibles again to the book of Leviticus. We've been uh, taking a look at a couple of things uh, through Leviticus about Jesus Christ uh, being pictured here. And uh, we took a look at the feast. We took a look at some of the sacrifices that were there. And now we're not going through a whole comprehensive study of the book of Leviticus, okay? We're, we're, we're going through, and I'm just kind of showing some patterns, patterns for our life, patterns for what we need to understand about Christ, how we uh, view him, knowledge of him. We are, as Christians, commanded to grow in the knowledge of him, the knowledge of his will. And as we go through scripture, we will find over and over again that revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, we have the end book that is titled that. The end book of the Bible is titled Revelation of Jesus Christ. Throughout it, throughout its contents, throughout every book, throughout every chapter, we see some patterns that show up that are showing who God is, who Christ is, what God's desire is, and what God's will is for our life. And I want us to see something here in uh, the book of Leviticus about Jesus Christ, but we're going to take a look at the priests first. We're then going to go ahead and take a look at Jesus Christ. We're going to take a look at some examples. We're going to see a commission of what a priest does. And we're going to talk about some of the application for us. Because that's going to be very important. And I want us to understand a couple of things about it. And it's not exactly what we may think. Specifically, when we think about what a priest is, we think about uh, the Old Testament Jewish priest that was out there doing those things with the sacrifices, with the altars, with uh, um, the incense and the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant, tabernacle, temple. We think of it in that regards. But I want us to view something very different about what the commission, what the purpose behind the priesthood is. In Leviticus chapter 9, Leviticus chapter 9, uh, in the previous chapter, chapter 8, um, uh, we find that uh, uh, Aaron and his sons were uh, consecrated and, and uh, uh, set aside for specifically that use of the ministry, that being uh, those, uh, uh, those priests that were supposed to minister unto the people. And what we find here in Leviticus chapter 9, and I want us to, to jump down there to uh, verse 8. It says, Aaron therefore went unto the altar and slew the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And we see very clearly here he's beginning to perform a sacrifice. He's doing it the way God told him to. He's not going to the altar with sin. He's taking care of his sin, and then he'll take care of what is necessary to minister unto the people. And we go through this, and we jump down to verse 12. It says, here again, here's another offering. It says, and he slew the burnt offering. And Aaron's sons presented it unto the blood, and he sprinkled round about the altar. So now he's got the sin offering, and he's got the burnt offering that he's taking care of. In verse 15, it says, and he brought the people's offering... And he took the goat, which was uh, the sin offering for the people, and slew it and offered it for sin as the first. And he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the manner. And he brought the meal offering and took a handful thereof and burned it upon the altar beside the burnt sacrifice of the morning. And he slew also the bullock and the ram for a sacrifice of peace offerings, which was for the people. And Aaron's son presented him the blood, which he sprinkled upon the altar round about. And goes through and talks about exactly what he did to finalize that. 
But what we find here is we find Aaron being dutiful, doing as he's commanded, doing all of these sacrifices and offerings the way God commanded him to do it. The way God commanded him to do it. And we see here that there's something very specific that happens in verse uh, 20, uh, jumping down here to uh, uh, verse uh, 22, it says, And Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them and came down from offering of the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people, and there came down fire from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. Let's go ahead and pray here very quickly. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to get into your word, to study. And Lord, while it's a bit of a meteor subject this morning, I pray, Lord, we'd understand the intent and the application for our personal lives. That each one of us, Lord, would have a heart that is tender, soft, and yielded to your Holy Spirit. The Lord would understand if there's any conviction, we'd respond to it. If there's encouragement, Lord, we would receive it. If there's comfort there, Lord, we would be comforted with the hope that we have in you. The Lord, your Holy Spirit would have free reign among us and within our hearts. That all of our hard-heartedness and anything that would be against you would be broken up. And that, Lord, we would be a yielded servant unto you desiring to do your will, and desiring to be obedient unto you in all things. I thank you again, Lord, for this time. Thank you for those that are here. And I pray, Lord, you just be with uh, me and speak through me, that this time would be glorifying unto you, your name, your word, and be pleasing in your sight. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we find here in in Leviticus chapter uh, 9, we find Aaron, after he's been ordained to do what he's going to do, he goes in and he begins to do those things that the Lord commanded. It is a great thing, a great deal to speak of about when you're commissioned to do something of the Lord, doing it and doing it immediately. And we find exactly he does that. He goes and he begins to do all of these things, doing them the way that the Lord had commanded him. And we find that in the end, the Lord was very pleased with Aaron's sacrifices. He was pleased with all of those offerings. And this is something that is, is an amazing thing to think about as he's done and he's gone all, all through all of this and the people get to see and witness the power and the glory of God in front of them with all of these things done the right way, doing his, Aaron doing his duty. He's attending to everything that the Lord had told him to do and called him to do. God is now pleased with Aaron's offerings and his actions of obedience and his duty. Now, we understand that Jesus Christ is pictured as a priest. I want you to keep your place here in the book of Leviticus. So if you have a ribbon, go ahead and put it there or something to stick there. And I want you to turn over to the book of Hebrews. Interestingly enough, Hebrews and Leviticus kind of go hand in hand. And it was interesting this morning, Mike Griffey was talking about meekness and what meekness means. And and he uses Moses as an, an example of what it means to be meek, and it was uh, it was great to see that connection. And Mike had referenced a, a passage of scripture that you go over there in the book of Matthew, and in the book of Matthew, in that specific passage, it talks about him being Jesus Christ being a prophet, it talks about him as being a king as he's coming into Jerusalem, and all of these things that we see about who he is, 
and he enters into the temple as a priest would. We see that pattern throughout Jesus Christ's life. And it's very clear that Jesus Christ is prophet, priest, and king. The one that holds that title. The one that holds all three of those duties. And when sometimes those kings of the Old Testament tried to do the things that were of the priests, they paid for it. Sometimes there was individuals that tried to rise up and thought of themselves more than the others as prophets and they were cast down. And we begin to see there was a pattern that throughout all of Scripture that God had ordained Christ to fulfill those three roles in everything that he did. So we take a look here at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to take a look at a few verses here. Hebrews chapter 2, and again, I want to give context of who this is talking about. And we find who it's talking about right there in verse 9, where it says, But we see Jesus. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the, suffer, uh, for the suffering of death, crowned with honor and glory, that by the grace of God should taste death for every man. He died on the cross for every person. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Didn't die just for a few. Didn't die for a select group. Didn't just die for the Jew. He died for all of us. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, is what it says over there in Peter, Second uh, uh, Peter. But what we find here is very clearly, as we jump down here to verse, uh, oh, let's jump down here to verse 14. It says, for as much then as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus Christ, likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who, through fear of death, were all their time subject to bondage. And here is a reason why he came as a man. Why he gave his flesh in such a way. To be that sacrifice. To be that offering. As we talked about last week. Or, uh, yeah, last week. But here he says in, uh, in this uh, verse 16, he says, For fairly he took not him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He wasn't Superman. He didn't come as some sort of spiritual being, entity of that nature. He came as a man, and it was found in fashion as a man. And he was made in the flesh, and there was a body that was given to him. And that body was given for the purpose of sacrifice. The lamb that was slain, as it says in Revelation chapter 4. And we see here in verse 17, it says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself suffered being tempted, that he's able to succor them that are tempted. He says here he is being found as a priest, merciful and faithful, and is capable of coming along and comforting and being a counselor, as his name is in the book of Isaiah, to give us hope through his word that we can have eternal life, that we can have forgiveness of sins, as he's talking about here, reconciliation of of sins, which is a ministry that Paul talks about over there in in, in uh, to the church at Corinth. 
He says specifically that there's a ministry of reconciliation that we have a commission to, being ambassadors of Christ. And that's kind of what a priest was. It was an ambassador. They would go around and they would be very clear who the priests were and what they were doing. Now, they were their, their attendance was not just to the things of the temple. Not just to the things of the tapo, <coughs> excuse me, tabernacle and the altar and the sacrifices and the offerings. There was more to the priesthood than that. And we find that Jesus Christ here, as it is said there, pertaining to God. In things pertaining to God. And I want us to see a little bit more about this. In chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So we hear, see here very clearly that God is pointing out the role of Jesus Christ as the priest. And you go through the book of Hebrews, and there's a lot more that is to be contained in this con- uh, in this context. And, and the content of the book of the Hebrews shows and demonstrates everything he did as a priest. And we're going to see a few more passages in regards to that. Because there are important things that we need to understand about who he is as a priest. But one thing we find is, as he being a man... He is capable of coming along and putting, if you will, an arm around us and saying, I've been there. I know what you're going through. I know what you're going through. You realize none of those false gods had ever before been like that? Moloch didn't come in the form of a flesh. Baal didn't come that way. Dagon didn't come that way. None of the gods that people put up there in such a manner came that way. But what we find very clearly is Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ did. He was called to a specific priesthood, especially a royal priesthood, as is called the Order of Melchizedek. Or Melchizedek, you find over there in the book of Genesis, when he meets with Abraham, he was a priest and he was a king. He was a king of Salem, the king of peace typology of Jesus Christ. But I want to emphasize there in verse 18 of chapter 2, it says, for he himself hath suffered being tempted, he's able to succor them that are tempted. Now this is an important thing because it provides for us an example. You will find no greater example of how to conduct your life than Jesus Christ. There are a lot of patterns that we see in David, but you know, David had some things that I would say, do not do. Same with Moses. Same with Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. There's a lot of them that did some things that were outside of the will of God. They did some things that were sin. So the best example that we have of how to behave and how to conduct ourselves and how to live our life is found in Christ Jesus. There is no other, there is no other example that meets that criteria. But I want you to think about this. Was his duty to offer a continual sacrifice? No, the sacrifice was made once. Hence the doing away of the law. Right now, the nation of Israel, those that are over there, that are in the Jewish religion, want to bring in the animal sacrifices again. 
which will do them nothing. It will not be pleasing unto God. Why? Because they still have rebellion in their heart against Christ. And since Christ is God, they are in direct, stubborn, hard-hearted rebellion against God. But what we find here very clearly is we find that God is saying, well, it's not a continuation of daily sacrifices. It was made once and once for all. And he now has this priesthood, but the priesthood has gone to a very different example, a very different role that we find back over in the book of Leviticus. The priesthood was not just about offering. It was not just about offering. I want us to go back over there to the book of Leviticus again. This time we're going to take a look at the next chapter in Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, something rather horrific happens. Now I want you to understand this. Chapter 8, Aaron and his sons are ordained, anointed, consecrated for the work of the Lord. Chapter 9, their father Aaron goes about and he does exactly everything the way that the Lord told him to do it in direct obedience to God, and God is pleased. Now comes his son's opportunity to come up to the altar and look at what they do. In verse 10 it says, And Nabab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense there. Uh, thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Over there in Exodus chapter 30, verse 9, it says, don't offer strange fire to me. God says, don't offer strange fire to me. Why? Because he wants it done his way. Why is that so hard? Having things done his way. We want to do things our way. Because we think our way is better. We often think our way is the best way. Has anybody ever proposed or done something? And maybe you've been part of a team and, and, and somebody says, uh, uh, and the manager says, this is how we're going to do it. And there's somebody in the team and maybe it's you, maybe it was somebody else. That's like, no, that's a totally bad idea. I got a better idea. I got a better idea. This isn't that way. God says, this is the way I want you to do it. Don't get fancy. Don't try to do something outside of your parameter. Do it the way I told you to. Aaron just did that. And God was pleased. His sons come up and they're like, let's mix it up a little bit. Let's have a little bit more fun. Let's put a little more sparkle in that fire. Let's get a little bit of a better scent than the, what's around here. Let's, let's try to spice things up. That didn't go so well. <clears throat> Verse two, and it says, and there went fire, there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. So they go and they light their incense and they start doing what they're going to do with that incense. And the next thing you know is fire. <laughs> Can you imagine? There they are. They've just seen the glory of the Lord. They've seen fire come down and consume. And the next thing you know is you see two guys that are over there. They've got their incense and boom, the fire gets them. 
Now, it gets, it gets kind of interesting here in verse 3, because Moses, he's like realizing, uh-oh, something has gone awry. In verse 3, he says, Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Aaron wasn't going to say anything. Could you imagine that? There he is watching his sons that he loved and cherished and cared about die right before his eyes. Wow. Wow. But they died because of their sin. They died because of direct obedience. And Moses is saying, hold on a second, Aaron. I know you want to say something right now. Because we both know that Aaron and Miriam had a tendency to be a little on things. <clears throat> as, as Mike was reading this morning over there in uh, Numbers chapter 12, has God only spoken by Moses? Yeah. <laughs> Short answer, yes. <clears throat> but what we find here is very clearly, he says, just hold on a second. Aaron, Aaron, Aaron wisely keeps his mouth closed. And it says, as Moses called Michelle and Elizaphan, uh, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them uh, in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. I don't think I need to get too graphic about what that means if they were devoured by the Lord. Put it in the little, carry it out. So here they are in verse five, uh, excuse me, in uh, verse six, and then it says, Moses said unto Aaron, unto Eleazar, and unto Ithamar, his sons, uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest ye die, and lest wrath come upon all the people, but let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled. Ye shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. He says, I, I, I don't want you mourning him. You mourn him, you're going to join him. That's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. But they had specifically disobeyed God. Willingly in front of all the people disobeyed God. Why was this such a big deal? Why was this so important? Because the commission of the priesthood has a very specific responsibility. <clears throat> I want you to go down here and see in verse eight, and the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Drink not uh, or drink not drink wine nor strong drink. Thou nor thy sons with thee, when thou go into the congregation of the tabernacle, lest ye die, shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, that ye may put difference between holy and unholy, and between clean and unclean, that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. Purpose of the priesthood is described right there. Their job was to show the difference between the clean and the unclean, and the holy and the unholy. 
They were supposed to be representing what the will of God is and what they were supposed to do. There was a specific way he wanted things done. There was a specific order in how he wanted it performed. There was a specific way in which he would be worshipped. And God said, all of these things, I want you to make sure you're teaching to the people that there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I want you to teach them through the way you live and the way you act and what you say. That was a role of a priest. That was a role of a priest. And we find very clearly this is what they were supposed to be doing. We found that God was not pleased at all with his two other sons that had just performed something that, that would have been pleasing, if you will, to some people. It was pleasing unto themselves because it would have been more along the lines of look at what we've cre- created. Look at our recipe. Look at how, how, how much better it is. Look at what we have done. And there in the tabernacle, God was going to have none of that. God was going to have none of that. You know what they did? They did things on their own will. They did things of their own desire, and both of which are satanic in its form. Because that's exactly what Lucifer did. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. That's how he described what he was going to do. His desires, his lust, was his own will. Was his own will. It was a satanic form, and he, and this is exactly what they did. They followed right after that mindset. They followed right after that thought process. They brought their own form of a, a of an incense, their own recipe, if you will, their own form of worship. And you know what that was? That was exactly like Cain. Over there in Genesis chapter 4, the reason why Cain got so mad is because God would not accept it the way that he told him he would accept it. Abel goes ahead and brings the, of the flocks. Cain brings of the field. God says, I don't want that. What I want is I want you specifically to bring of the flocks. You know, all he had to do is go make a barter and trade with Abel. I'll give you these bananas for that. I'll go ahead and give you these things and you, you know, of the field and, 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 and you can have that and I'll, we'll take, uh, you know, one, uh, one of your lambs without spot, without blemish and I'll, uh, I'll take that and use that as an offering to please God. But what happened? Cain got mad. And God warned him and he says, if you don't get your heart right, sin lies at the door. Sin was lying at the door. When, uh, whenever we leave the house, I always like to turn a specific light on wherever I know I'm going to be entering into the house. Because I don't like entering into a dark room. There's just something about me that's like, that just sets me up for whatever. I just don't like it. I want to walk in and I want to know what I'm seeing. Call me paranoid. Feel free. Many have called me that before. <laughs> because I want to know what lies on the other side. You realize God just told him, you're going to get ambushed. 
If you're not careful and you don't watch what's happening, when you open that door and you cross that threshold of going and doing your own thing, sin is waiting right there to destroy you. As Paul said, slay you where you stand. Drop you like that. God revealed, he said, I know what's on the other side. The light's on. You're now aware. Cain went willingly through that door, opened it, fell right into sin. His heart became bitter. His heart became hardened against God and against his brother, and he killed him. Cold blood. And then tried to blame everyone else, including God. But the end result that we find here is all of those things that these two uh, two sons, these two brothers did was exactly the same thing as Cain did. I'm going to worship God my way. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. God said, no, that's not how this works. That's not how this works. So right after God tells Aaron his duty uh, as, a, as a priest, right after he just saw his sons pass away before and he says the duty of, the, of a priest is to show the difference between what is holy and what is unholy, what is unclean and what is clean. Show your responsibility, Aaron, and your sons, and every priest that comes after you is to show what is right and what is wrong. What is right and what is wrong. We live in a day and age where morality is subjective. We live in a day and age where morality has no foundation and no basis. People will claim, well, morals never came from, from, from anything religious. Yeah, they did. They came straight from, straight from God. Where do you think they originated? They sure didn't originate on the rock that rained on and the amoeba that formed. Didn't, it didn't start there. There's no morality, if you will, among the animals. They're like, well, there's a little bit. No, 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 no. no. There is not a morality like that. There's not a morality like God has instituted. There isn't a morality that God has written upon their hearts as he has done with man. There is no morality of conscience. There's none of those things with the animals. But we have it. And he said, the duty of a priest is this. Clean and unclean. Right there in verse uh, verse 10, he says, uh, I want you to put a difference between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean. I want you to notice that he says, put a difference. So it's not a matter of just showing what's right and wrong. He's like, I want you to put a difference between the two so that you can clearly see it. That you can clearly see it. And I tell you, the Word of God does a lot of that, doesn't it? It puts a difference. I mean, how, how, how many people do you hear naming their child Jezebel? Yeah. Why, why, why is that? Only those that are defiant will do that. Why? Because in the end, she ended up in a really bad place. <laughs> It wasn't pretty how God said she was going to die. 
You don't see a lot of uh, people naming their, 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 their daughters Athaliah either. The queen that murdered all of her grandsons and nephews and anybody that was related to the bloodline of Judah. She didn't want any of the king's lineage. She was going to be queen. People don't go around naming children like that. Why is that? Because there's a little bit of a twinge of morality. We think about all of these things here, it puts a big difference. You take a look at the life of, say, somebody like Jezebel, and then you take a life, uh, take a, a look at somebody, say, like Mary. Big difference, huh? Big difference is, is Mary standing there and having a conversation with the angel Gabriel. Big difference. There's a big difference between somebody like Jezebel and somebody that is uh, like a Lydia in the Bible. Or a Tabitha. There's a big difference between somebody that actually has care and compassion. There's a big difference that you see between somebody like Cain and somebody like Moses or like David. Even with their mess-ups, even with their sin that they had. Not very many people go and name their son Ahab. The connotation behind it. We begin to realize that, 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 that very clearly the scripture sets those things up. But it was the priest's duty to make sure that there was a difference put between them. To show exactly what the consequences of sin were and what the consequences of righteousness were. And he would say, could you imagine there's Aaron and, and he's beginning to teach and he's showing some people and up comes this child and asks this question. Well, why can't you do the incense different than what God's recipe is? Can you imagine Aaron just stopping dead in his tracks? Like, no, uh-uh-uh. we don't do that. Let me tell you the story about two men that tried that. There's a difference. We see a difference between chapter 9 and chapter 10, don't we? In God's response to what is being done according to His will and what is being done outside of His will. And I dare say that when we look at this, we begin to understand very clearly that God is showing us something that we need in our lives. And there is no greater example of showing the difference between what was right and what is wrong than in Jesus Christ. He fulfills that part of the priesthood perfectly. Turn over again to the book of Hebrews, this time in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, In verse 14, it says, seeing then we have a high, we have a great high priest that is passed in the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession for we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, 
but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. Last time I checked, it said 64% of Christians believe Jesus Christ sinned when he was here on earth. I will dare say that those people cannot call themselves Christians. They're not following the example of Christ. Christ set a sinless example. Christ set a sinless example. And the reason is, is because they don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. They believe he's a man. Solely a man and only a man. And they believe that, uh, that uh, regardless of what the Bible says, regardless of what God says in Scripture, they think they know better. That's a sad fact. That's a very sad fact. Take a look at what he says over in, in, in chapter 7 of the same book, Hebrews chapter 7. <clears throat> and there's many other places, but I want us to see very specifically when it came to the role of a high priest, how he fulfilled that commission that was given after Aaron just saw his boys burned. We find here in verse 26, for such a high priest be, uh, became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher in the heavens. Next verse, we see where he offers himself in that single solitary sacrifice. But right there, we see very clearly that it was different between who he, he is. There's a difference between Jesus Christ and mankind. There's a difference between living in the will of God and living on the outskirts of the will of God. There's a difference between doing what is the right thing and doing what is quote-unquote almost right or 99% right or maybe 50% right. There's a big difference. And Jesus Christ said, I'm going to show how this example should be. And how this example should be is it should be holy, should be sinless, it should be acceptable unto God. His example was that. His example was exactly that. He showed specifically what it was to have a life that was holy and acceptable unto God. Do I need to quote Romans chapter 12? <laughs> because over there it tells us that that is our reasonable service. It's our living sacrifice that we give. That we're supposed to do that. That thing that which is holy. That, stu- that, that, that Those actions, those thoughts and those words which are to be acceptable to God. And that was the responsibility, the duty of a priest. He would go and if he saw something that was sin, he would say, that's sin. And here's the product of sin. Here's what happens with sin. Something has to die. The responsibility of the priest was, if you will, an educator to teach, as it says over there in, in, in um, excuse me, in verse 
verse 11 of Leviticus chapter 10. Turn back over there to that passage and see very specifically again what it says in that, uh, um, in that verse. In verse 11 of Leviticus chapter 10, it says that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes. All the statutes. Is that not what Jesus Christ came? Was he not called frequently rabbi? Was he not referred to as a teacher? I mean, even some of the, 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 the people of this world, when you ask them, who is Jesus Christ? They will say, well, he was a great, he was a good teacher. He was a good teacher. Well, yeah, he was a good teacher because he's God. And he's a good teacher because he fulfilled the priesthood exactly as God commissioned him to do. And he continues to do this day. He is. But he's more than just a teacher. Above all, he is the Savior. By him, no man can have eternal, or excuse me, uh, 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 except by him, no man can have eternal life. Right. No matter what we do. No matter how we try to earn it. No matter how much we work. Or how much we give. No matter how good we think we are. We'll never meet that, 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 that standard. A standard that was meant in Jesus Christ that he could give of himself as a sacrifice. Holy, perfect, and acceptable. And there he is giving of himself. And here comes the application for us. Turn over to the book of First Peter. I want us to see a couple of passages of scripture. <clears throat> The nation of Israel was a set example throughout the world. Inside the nation of Israel, you have an example of what it was supposed to be like for the rest of the world. They were supposed to be a nation of priests. They were supposed to be a nation of prophets and a nation of kings. Interesting. They were supposed to, uh, if you will, bring the Gentiles to God. They were to be evangelistic in their nature. How do we know that? The book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. And he's being told to go to a people that are not Jews. To Gentiles. The book of Jonah clearly exemplifies that. Elisha and Naaman exemplifies it. There's others throughout throughout Scripture that exemplify that. That's what they were supposed to be doing. It's also the purpose of the body of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 9, he says, But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a particular, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you, out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says very clearly here, there's a calling. A priesthood. To further solidify that, go over to the book of Revelation. Go over to the book of Revelation. We find in Revelation chapter 1, 
In Revelation chapter 1, in verse 5, it says, And from Jesus, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? It's the only way that you get to see what comes next from a good seat. And here he's saying, he says, this is what Jesus Christ has done. In verse 6, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What does it say there? Kings and priests. To rule and reign with him. Millennial reign is going to be, is going to be a weird time here on earth for people that are not saved. It's going to be very different. You got people walking around, if you will, giving examples of what is right and what is wrong. People ruling and reigning in certain areas. People that are going to be judges, not only over man, but also over angels, which just blows my mind, okay? But therein is what God tells us. But I find as we go through this a little bit further, you go to Revelation chapter 5, again, to just solidify this fact. Revelation chapter 5. And here are these, uh, uh, these four and twenty elders that are around the throne of God, seeing the Lamb of God. And in verse 9, it says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, not just the nation of Israel. And what does he say right there? And thou hast uh, uh, made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Hmm. One more verse in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. <clears throat> and here it is, the millennial reign of Christ coming in. The devil's been bound for a thousand years. The beast and the false prophet, they are now in the lake of fire. And here it says in verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. Those people have been saved from that. And what does it say? But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with them a thousand years. So here comes the application, folks. The application is this. Jesus Christ set an example of how we are to behave in our day-to-day life. Set an example of how we're to pray. Set an example of how we're to do the will of God. Set a difference between what is holy and unholy and what is unclean and clean. And what we find here very specifically in these passages is that we are to be as that. A type of a priest. We're to behave in a certain way. We're to follow the example of Christ and we are very clearly intended to do what God has asked us to do, which is to show that difference, to teach the people to show and say, look, this is the way that God wants us to live. 
This is the way that God wants us to do that. And here's what it looks like when God accepts that offering and what the glory of the Lord looks like. And here, over here, is what it looks like when God rejects that incense that is of our own will and of our own doing and how it burns everything to a crisp. There's a difference. We as Christians are supposed to live that in our life. We as Christians are intended to do that. We as believers have been given such a great example. And you know what I I just absolutely love about this thought? About what this, just, just thinking about this and meditating on this does? Is that God would commission us to do something that God would commission us, but not just leave us saying, hey, I want you to go do that job without giving us instruction, without giving the example, without giving a very specific, if you will, his desire of how it's to be done. There's been many times I've done jobs. I I remember doing one project one time for an individual on writing a manual on document uh, uh, retention. And uh, we we, we did all this research. We did all these things about the the good ways and the right ways to do it. Saw pharmacies that did it the right way and pharmacies that did it the wrong way. And I'm writing this document uh, uh, about it. And and I talked to the individual that that was uh, asking for this document to be drafted. And I said, oh, how do you want it written? What format? What is the way you want it? And he's like, oh, I don't care. Just just go ahead and put it all down. And I put it all down and I put it in the form that it was of my own well, my own desire, because he had, quote, unquote, left it blank. And guess what? He comes back and he says, well, that's not exactly how I imagined it would look. <laughs> really? <clears throat> Thank you for telling me. So what I have to do, go back and put it in that format and rewrite it this way. And, and uh, he, he, he didn't want a lot of the, the must part. He wanted uh, uh, softer language as just a suggestion. I'm like, these are regulations that we're putting down that we want, policies, if you will, that we want people to follow, right? Not just suggest that they do. Yeah, but we don't want, we want to word it in such a way that it's not as, authoritative, oh, fine, whatever. (laughs) Like, okay, I guess, you know, the policy says you must do it this way. What does that mean? You must do it this way. Thank God, God is not a man that just gives us that ambiguity out there that we don't have no idea, we have no idea how to go about doing what God has asked us to do. He's given us such a great example in His Word. He's given us such a great example in the life of Christ. And I, as a Christian, take great comfort from that. Knowing that my Savior, my God, my priest, my high priest, has given me an example and says, here's the difference between what is unholy and unholy, and I'll show it to you in this book. Here's how to do the right thing, and here's what you do, or or excuse me, what happens, the consequences when you do that which is wrong. 
And praise God that God has given us this book. Praise God God has given us direction in our life and path. Praise God He's given us His Holy Spirit to teach us and to show us, to convict us, to prick our hearts, to break up the fallow ground, to show in our lives what we need to change, and He shows us what is holy and what is unholy. You ever do something that is just outside the will of God and, and you just, you, you instantly know as the Holy Spirit goes, yeah, no. <clears throat> Shouldn't have done it that way. Uh, I, I think those two sons realized really quickly they had made a very big error. Could you imagine the terror of the people? And God specifically spoke to Aaron and said, here is your commission. I want you to teach him what is right and what is wrong. I want you to show him the difference. Aaron, that's your commission as a priest. Every priest. Christ fulfilled that example. He expects us to do the same. brother and sister in Christ this morning, I want to ask you, what example are we setting? I mean, we're, we're, we're called Christians. I understand that word is just used so loosely today. There's people calling themselves Christians that I'm like, no, you're not. Not even close. But we as Christians, as we take a look at what it was, you know, how they were called over there in Antioch, what were they? A Christian was somebody that loved the Lord. A Christian was somebody that loved his word. A Christian was somebody that loved his will. A Christian was somebody that did it. And somebody that followed intently after Christ. That is what a Christian is. And as a believer today, God has called you to a specific commission and purpose. We are ambassadors. We have a ministry of reconciliation. We show the world. Not only do we show it through the way we act and the way we talk, but we show them out of the Word of God. We show them and say, This is what God says. This is what man says. And somebody's going to say, well, they don't believe the Word of God. I understand. But it's the Word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder between asunder of soul and spirit. You, You understand that the Word of God is the one that gets in there. It's not the convincing of your words. It's the power of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're called to be examples, if we're called to be holy and acceptable, if we're called to follow that example of Christ, let's ensure that we're doing that today. Christ's example is very clearly outlined in those passages In Leviticus chapter 9 and chapter 10, we see he fulfilled 
that exact commission as God had called him to do. Will we do the same this morning? Will we do the same in our life? Praise our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, that he gave us this example to follow. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. I thank you again for all that you've done for us and all that you've given to us. And Lord, I cannot imagine a better sacrifice than of you and what you gave. And Lord, I, I, I just I thank you for it. I thank you for the salvation that you've given to me. I thank you for the eternal life that I have through you. And Lord, I pray that every single day I will show the difference. I will show and teach my children, the children around, every man, woman, child, Lord, what it means to do your will, to be obedient, to follow your commands, to follow your desires. Lord, may we show that difference in our life. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you've given to us this day. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.